Hey, I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge. If this is your first time here in the show, good news, it's a simple idea. We've all had educators in our lives who helped shape who we are, and we want to hear about the teachers who've inspired you and the educators in your community who you think deserve a spotlight. Every educator we have on this show, whether a teacher, a coach, or professor, is nominated by the people that listen. So please be a part of our show and tell us about the person that comes to your mind. Email us with your nominations and your story ideas at teacherslounge at niu.edu. Today on the show, we have Kim Radistitz, a.k.a. Miss Rad, a.k.a. your 2022 Illinois Teacher of the Year. Yeah, I actually got to be there when she received the award in front of her class a while back. She's a Spanish teacher in Oregon, Illinois, and I'm really happy that we got the chance to have a longer chat to talk about what being Teacher of the Year means to her, the awesome work she's been doing with her freshman students in Oregon, and so, so much more. Before we jump into that conversation, we have a story that takes a slight detour away from our typical education features, but you're definitely going to learn something, I guarantee you that. I got the chance to cover such a fascinating event recently, and I just had to share it with you. A new historical marker in Illinois honors a worker kill protesting in the 1930s. And there was music, but it was not a celebration, it was a commemoration of those lost in the fight for fair pay and safe conditions. Workers Memorial Day is observed across the country every April 28th, and I got to go to Marseilles for the story. But that fight turned bloody 90 years ago in Marseilles. During the throes of the depression, local laborers protested a company bringing in out-of-state underpaid workers to build a dam. During the peaceful protest, company personnel open-fired and killed local worker Big Steve Sutton and wounded 21 more. And just as the gunfire cleared, news of a local labor agreement reached Marseilles. Laborers Local 393 was born on that tragic day and still stands on Main Street, just a block from where the dam was built on the Illinois River. Mike Matika is a member of the Laborers Local 362 and a community activist. And we're here today to make sure that story that bravery, that courage to build a movement and demand decent conditions is not forgotten. The Illinois State Historical Society unveiled a plaque to honor Big Steve and make sure the history of labor in Illinois is cast in bronze. Chuck Stanley is a board member of the State Historical Society and presented at the event. There's an old labor song called Joe Hill. In the song, there is a line, it takes more than guns to kill a man. And I think that's the notion that is echoed in this marker. The peaceful night on the Illinois River was also full of music and union songs. The performer to bring them to life was a former Marseilles resident, Rage Against the Machine guitarist and workers' rights activist. My name's Tom Morello, and I'm a union man! This first song I'm going to play is a fighting song. This is a union song for the fine auto workers. The crowd of Marseille's residents and local 393 members rushed on stage with Morello as he belted out old and original labor anthems. The former Rage guitarist and union member himself also took the time to talk about the renewed push for organized labor. 
Unions have seen a wave of wins over the past year with workers from Starbucks and Amazon successfully organizing. Morello and other labor activists hope it's momentum for a movement in America. In Illinois, labor is also on the ballot this November. Voters will decide whether a workers' rights amendment should be enshrined in the Illinois state constitution. The amendment says it would guarantee the right to a safe workplace and make it illegal to pass laws interfering or diminishing workers' rights to organize. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker also spoke at the event. He talked about the importance of memorializing what happened in Marseilles almost a century ago and about the proposed amendment. On day one, I got to work putting a stop to the previous administration's union-busting and anti-worker agenda. We banished from the dictionaries of this state three words. Right to work. So-called right to work laws give workers the option to join a union or not. Labor activists say federal law already gives those protections and that right to work measures weaken union bargaining strength. On Workers Memorial Day, Morello closed out the night with a rendition of one of America's most famous songs, This Land is Your Land. But he highlighted the original final lyrics of Woody Guthrie's Dust Bowl protest song. As I was walking, I saw a sign there. And that sign said, no trespassing. But on the other side, didn't say nothing. That side was made. The plaque in memory of Big Steve Sutton can be found in downtown Marseilles, right on the Illinois River. Absolutely fascinating, right? Anyway, without any further ado, here's my conversation with the 2022 Illinois Teacher of the Year, the delightful, the rad, Miss Rad, Kim Radistitz. How surprised were you? Did we get you completely off guard? Oh my gosh. I mean, there, there are no words to describe still what's going through my head in the last, I mean, I guess it's been over a week now, but yeah. it, in some ways it feels like it happened yesterday and some, in other ways it feels like it happened years ago. Because um, I think I've felt every emotion humanly possible in the last eight days. Um, and I had no clue that was coming. I mean, in all honesty, I there was a, I don't know if you know about what you know about it, but there was a small finalist banquet on Saturday yeah. uh, before they came in. And I had a great time and I got an opportunity to meet the other um, 11 finalists and they were amazing people. And the caliber of people that were in that room that day, it was like, I felt like I like I was a winner just because I was spending time with them, and I left that event um, very much feeling like okay, like this was an awesome like part of my life, and I'm gonna tie like a pretty little bow on it. And I posted about it on Facebook like this has been wonderful because it truly was. But I really thought that was like the end of it for me, and here I am at the starting line again, which is absolutely crazy. Um, but the best part of it was that I got to share that moment with some kids that. I've, I've really spent a lot of time getting to know this year. Um, some kids that I've grown alongside this school year, I feel like not only have they grown, but I've grown as well as a result of being a part of this, um, a part of this school year with them where they're, you know, experiencing a lot of challenges and a lot of changes in such a short period of time. And so to be able to share something that huge with that group of kids couldn't have been more special. And I'm so glad that that was when um, everybody came in. Um, I think that it probably caught me off guard more so that it was at that point of the day versus other <laughs> points of the day. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, what a world. Like, I, I just, I cannot believe this is my life right now. I really can't. And I'm not like, I'm not just saying that like, this is by no means 
a place that I ever saw myself in before. Like I very much see myself as a small town, you know, a small town teacher that, that loves what she does and loves on my small group of kids. And so to have my lens widened, like literally overnight has been an incredible experience, but I truly am so, so excited about it because I do believe that just because I teach in a small town and I teach along other small town or along with other small town teachers, doesn't mean that we aren't doing awesome things that can't be replicated in other parts of the state. And so for that, I'm really, really excited. Yeah, I mean, I, it was it was really cool to to be there and watch it, and and not only to watch you get the award, but to, like you said, to watch your students watch you get the award was really fun. And yeah, they did not know what to make of that. That's I can't for imagine sure, because I, I had talked to them a little bit about what would happen the week before because they were really curious when I was named a finalist. It happened during a different part of the school day, and I had their class immediately after I found out about the finalist part. And so we got in the classroom and the kids see the signs and they were like, Miss Rad, like, what would this mean? And I kind of explained to them what would happen if I was a finalist. I'd have to take some time away from school next year. And in all honesty, I didn't really know a whole lot about the program. I just kind of told them the bits and pieces I knew about. So when you guys came in that day, I think you caught them very much. I think they were excited, but I think they were also apprehensive because they were trying to process like, wait a second, does this mean she's not going to be our teacher the rest of this year? Does this mean she's going to be gone next school year? So I think they probably had a lot of emotions to work through as well and didn't really know how to react. Um, but again, like it was so much fun that I mean, it has been fun just working through them with that as the week has gone on. And um, I mean, they're the, they're, the, they're the guys that I think really know me the best out of all my students right now. So we've been able to work some of, through some of that together. And I think that's the group I, I wanted to do that with. So it's been great. I love that. I'm always happy that I'm not like a TV reporter that has to like lug the huge camera in front of people's faces where I can just kind of step back and just watch the scene unfold. And it was so fun to see everyone's reaction to that. But yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine how much fun it was to like have all of that and then just be like, once it was finished, be like, all right, let's get back into it. <laughs> yeah, and that's very much what it was. Like the the half an hour after that announcement happened, um, there were people still in my room, like taking photos and stuff. So I had to take my next class for a walk around the building. And I'm like, no like, I'm not prepared for this. Like, what am I doing with them? And, and they were great about it. But then honestly, the next class period, it's like, all right, I'm going to address the elephant in the room. But like, come on, we still have learning to do. And um, I still want to see you grow. And like, we don't have much time left together. So let's go for it. And, that's what we did. I mean, it was like business as usual as soon as you guys left, um, which is exactly how I'd want it because I love what I do every single day. What is the the process like for the you know the teacher of the year? That like, what are you still doing? Like, what does it look like after you know you've gotten the award? What is the process like now? Yeah. So at this point, I've um, had the opportunity to talk to. Gosh, like people from all over the state have reached out, um, not only with well wishes, but also asking questions about the Hawks Take Flight program that I lead and the new teacher academy that I co-direct with one of my colleagues. Um, so I've had the opportunity to share out some of those things on a small scale with them. Additionally, I have heard from the Illinois State Board of Education, and they're going to have me come out to Springfield next week for an event with the Senate and the House, oh which is like, oh my gosh, this is real life, this is happening. Um, and I don't really know much more about that yet, just that I'm excited and 
honored. And yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see what, what that, like, I, I feel like you and I should be having this conversation again in a week so that I can tell you what that's all about. Yeah. Um, and then I've also, um, I've reached out to some small schools in our area and then downstate about coming out and talking to them about the things that they're doing in their school. And at, they, they've asked me what I'm doing in mine. So I'm all about traveling and learning from other people, because if I can be if I can have my voice amplified throughout the state about the awesome things that are happening in the state, like I am all in because yeah. I, I, I do not have all the answers and I do not believe that I was selected because I am the best, but I am committed to doing my best in all of this. And I feel like part of doing my best is making sure that other people's voices are heard. And so that's, I think next steps, I know that I'm going to hear a lot more, uh, in the next couple of weeks, but it's still just also fresh. And um, that's what I've processed so far. Yeah, and it, No pun intended, but it's it's got to be pretty rad to, uh, <laughs> it's got to be pretty rad to get to talk, like you said, with like at the banquets or going to different schools and talking to people across the state, because, you know, like, obviously, even though it's invaluable, like, the amount of you know time you get to talk shop and talk to people within your own building and your colleagues there, but to talk to people outside that are at different schools, different sized districts, it's got to be really cool, especially with the pandemic, where maybe like a lot of some of those opportunities weren't necessarily there in the same way. To be able to like talk to people outside of your normal context and talk shop in that way, I know that's something about journalism that I have kind of missed during the pandemic is is being able to be like, okay, like. Yeah, let's tell people about the you know Hawks take flight, or let's talk to people from other districts. It's got to be really fun to to talk to people that are like you said in like totally different circumstances. Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the things that I found most valuable through the pandemic, like one of the silver linings, is that I believe that teachers became a lot more transparent about what's happening in our classrooms. I feel like I've had the opportunity to share out the things that I'm doing in my classes. Um, and on a scale that I never had before, like pre-pandemic, like I was, I was um, with a couple of my colleagues sharing out the things that I was doing with pandemic teaching district-wide. I was having uh, kindergarten and first grade teachers come to sessions where I was talking about what I was doing with Jamboard at the high school and what I was doing um, with Google Slides and what I was doing with asynchronous versus synchronous learning because I kind of jumped all, like I jumped in as soon as pandemic hit because I missed my kids and I needed it. Um, so I tried all the things and I failed and I failed and I failed, but I, fa I called my session failing forward because I think that's what I did like day after day after day, like the entire pandemic. Um, but I saw myself, um, like I, I grew a lot over that time because I wasn't scared to show other people what I was doing in my room because I kind of felt like we were all on the same page that we were all learning together. Um, and so I do feel like I made a lot of connections through the pandemic that I wouldn't have if it hadn't been for that. But I think you're completely right in saying that I'm missing out on that like in-person experience because I think there's so much to be learned when you're having an, like just sitting down and having an actual conversation with somebody versus talking to them to, through a screen and like a presentation style format, right? I mean, I say all the time that some of the best professional development I've ever gotten as a teacher has been at the water fountain, at the coffee machine, like on the way to the my car in the parking lot where I've bumped into various colleagues and it's like, hey, how'd your day go today? And they tell me, it's like, oh my gosh, tell me more about that. I wanna hear about it. Like those informal conversations are great learning opportunities. Um, and that's, that's something I've missed throughout the pandemic. So I'm excited um, to have that opportunity to go around and see what other people are doing. 
and bring them back and then maybe also share with other schools as I kind of connect the dots throughout the throughout this year. Yeah, I know. And I actually, I think actually that was like the question that I asked you at that event was like about how you felt like you've grown through the course of the pandemic. And you were like, I think you said you're like, yeah, I feel like a completely different teacher than I was a couple of years ago. I, I was like a very much, and I still am. So like, I don't know if I'm coming off extroverted, but I, I still, I still very much like my cozy little bubble. Like who doesn't like that? Right. Yeah. Um, it's comfortable. Why I would you not? That, right. Absolutely. But I have one of, one of the people that I, um, respect the most in education is PJ Capozzi. And he always talks about, he's a superintendent at Stillman Valley. And he always talks about how he wants his teachers to be um, comfortably uncomfortable. And I know that's a really weird thing to think about, but I think that's what I was throughout the pandemic. Like I was uncomfortable, but I was uncomfortable, I guess on my own terms. And now I, I think that this is going to be a whole new wave of uncomfortable, but I'm here for it. And I'm, I don't know that I would have been here for it pre-pandemic. Now I am. Like I've I've experienced change and I've experienced how change can be bring really, really awesome things. And so I'm excited to see like where I'm at at the end of this experience, where my school's at at the end of this experience, where my kids are at at the end of this experience. Um, and if I can bring some good to the state, like how awesome will that be? Yeah. I, I'm just nothing but excited. Yeah. Yeah, and like speaking of your kids, and, and speaking of, I think it, we already mentioned the like Hawks Take Flight program. Can you tell people like that aren't familiar with that, that want to know more about what that's like? Yeah, so the Hawks Take Flight program is something that we started in Oregon back in two thousand eight. It was my second year of teaching. Uh, there were five teachers on board at the time. Oh, actually, four teachers and a, a guidance counselor were on board. And what we did was we started really small scale. We had identified some kids that school year that were struggling in their classes um, during first semester. And then second semester, we kicked off a program where we mentored those 10 students. Um, back then, we had a real problem when it came to freshman failure rates. There were, I believe that school year, 227 freshman Fs, semester Fs that year, which is crazy for a school our size. I mean, we we were averaging at that time about 130 students in the freshman class. So to have 227 Fs split amongst that small of a group of kids was really, really scary. And so we wanted to do something about it. And um, so we started off our program where it was just a, an after-school mentoring program. And we really didn't have a whole lot to go off of other than the fact that we wanted to just build relationships with kids. And from there, we, we refined that into a program where... Um, we have an English teacher, a math teacher, a social studies teacher, a science teacher, a guidance counselor, and a paraprofessional, along with myself who teaches Spanish, and then a, uh, our industrial arts teacher. And the eight of us would get together. We'd identify 15% of the student body um, that was, or rather 15% of the eighth grade cl class that was most at risk of not graduating on time, identify them over the summer meet with their parents, tell them about our program. And then right away, week one of the school year, we would after school meet with those 15 kids after school. And the seven or eight of us, depending on the year, would kind of case manage those kids. So we'd split them up. I'd have three, somebody else would have another three. And we would meet together in one big room. Um, so we had kind of a community you know, feel about it. But then in addition to that, each of us teachers would pull our kids into maybe a, a corner or a space in the room that was our safe space where we would talk about 
things like how are things going in school in terms of homework? You know, what has your attendance been like this week? How are things going at home? Um, have you any, had any awesome experiences socially this week or have there been any challenges socially this week? And we used that time together to not only build relationship with kids, but also set goals with them so that they could feel small successes throughout the year and um, really build themselves up so that they had the confidence to finish off the school year strong. And then sophomore, junior, and senior year, take flight like the name the name implies and kind of manage their own learning as sophomores juniors and seniors since we've really refined this program we've gone from 227 back in 2007 2008 to the 2019 school year right before the pandemic only having seven apps like seven. incredible Jeez. nothing like we never would have guessed that we would have that much success but we did because we were all in on this this small group of, of students. And I believe that if like every single school is, is, is having challenging times right now, like the pandemic has probably taken the 15% of the student body that's struggling and probably magnified it into 20, 25%, maybe more in some school districts. But I believe that if you invest in the 20, 25% and you spent, if you go all in on that 20, 25%, then it becomes 15% and it becomes 10%. And once you've done that, you have an impact that's greater than just that 25% of kids, because now you're having a classroom climate that is so much different for the other students in your classes, right? And then you can look at things differently. Um, I, like I said, when I started this program or when I became a part of it, I was selected to be a part of it and grow it. Um, I was a second year teacher and I, I was very much like, I'm going to be a Spanish teacher and I'm going to teach the culture of Spanish speaking countries. And I like, don't get me wrong. Like, I love that. I still love that. I can conjugate a verb like nobody's business, but <laughs> what I've learned since then is that, um, you know, it's the kids that, that like, that's, that's where, that's where my passion is, is, is growing kids and, and the humans. I know you heard me say that once before, but um, now I don't, I don't really look at the Hawks take flight students as kids that are different than other kids. I think yeah. I very much have widened my lens and I teach all of my kids in the same way. I teach them as, as humans first. And I worry about like, not just worry, but I invest in their lives outside of my classes and making sure that um, their social emotional needs are taken care of. Because I do believe like, if you look at a, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if those bottom tiers aren't met, how could you possibly get to the top? Like, how could you possibly, um, you know, like ha have them um, feel that self-actualization where they're feeling success up here if, if they don't have their basic needs met? Yeah. So um, I go into every school year just trying to get to know as much about my kids as possible. And the beginning of every school year is a little shaky, like this year in particular, the beginning of the school year, like every other school was rough, even for me, like. I guess I'm 2022 Illinois Teacher of the Year, but I'm not, I am not ashamed. I am not too proud to say that the first two months of the school year were rough. But now in March, you know, I spend a lot of my spring break, you know, in, like spending time with my family, but also my mind is on those kids because I have really, really good relationships with those 15 kiddos that were being knuckleheads at the beginning of the year, right? Like now we're in a really good place, but I invested. And if I can help people in the state learn ways to build connections with students like that, I do believe that we are going to be able to fulfill the needs of our students in this state on a whole nother level. Yeah. I mean, like social emotional learning has been such a huge topic for, I mean, at least I've only been on this beat for like 
you know, three years or something like that, but for at least the last several years. And I've talked to countless teachers who talk about how like it wasn't something that was necessarily emphasized when they were going through their teacher prep programs and how about it's something that like once you start looking at your students through that lens, it's something that you can't unsee. And now all of a sudden the weight and the responsibility is like that. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's everyone. And I think it's fascinating, especially like you said, with the pandemic and the challenges that a lot of students have had there. I think you've seen through some like state data even about how that particular time period for students of like between like eighth grade and their freshman year about like the statistics where throughout the course of the pandemic, they, they saw like these, you know, struggles that students had for like, you know, I, I think like of how many students are, you know, ninth graders on track to graduate and like eighth graders going through specific programs. It's so, like that specific targeted area, I think, is some makes a lot of sense as something to like make sure that you're getting students right as they're making that tough transition, especially now when they've had again, like we've said it so many times on, on this show where it's like the students in third grade now haven't had a normal year since they were in kindergarten and stuff like that. Right. It's, it's, it's been right. a long time. Right. And in a way, I think that was sort of a, so, oh man, there are so many different experiences I've had in my life that, that kind of mirror pandemic life. Yeah. Um, but, but, and I, I guess I won't get too much into that because I don't know how much time we have, but as much as um, you want, I mean, this is a beautiful thing about podcasting. <laughs> um, well, okay. I guess I'll, I'll tell you one. Up and that you. is, yeah. um, I, uh, I am a teacher in Oregon high school, but I'm also one of the Fairdale 2015 tornado survivors. I, oh um, yeah, I lost my house in that tornado. Mine was one of the first two on the West side of town that was destroyed that day. And, um, I tell that story because like so much of that experience is similar to the pandemic in that overnight my life changed right like I was misplaced from my safe space and um the familiar the familiar faces in my community as well as my routine was shifted and um I got through that experience because I had lots of people railing for me I had so much support I um had there were people from all over that came in and helped rebuild the infrastructure of my town and contractors that had you know like the expertise that needed to rebuild a house and yada, yada, yada. And with the pandemic, similar things are happening. Our students like overnight ripped from their safe space. For a lot of kids, school is their safe space. The familiar faces in the hallway, the teachers that were always rooting for them, couldn't see them anymore. They were putting in isolation. The routine that they were used to didn't have it anymore. They were put in isolation, like very, very similar experiences. And I think the thing that is echoing the loudest to me right now is post-tornado for me, um, I'll never forget moving back in to my home um, that was rebuilt, same space, and how the first few weeks I felt like I was living in this beautiful house, but also living in a fog where I would go out behind my house and I would sit, <laughs> my friends would laugh at me, but I would sit on a stump because that was what was left um, of this tree. And I would sit at this, this on the stump and I would look with my back to my home and it looked very familiar to me. Like I recognize this landscape. I recognize this feeling. But when I would turn around, things were just not the same. And I think a lot of that is happening with the kids right now. Like they're back. To, so at the beginning of the school year, we came back, right? Like we were back to school. Like we weren't learning from home anymore. There was no more remote learning. Like in a sense, we, we kids thought they were coming back to normal. 
in the first few weeks of school, what we should have been doing, and I hold myself accountable to this too, is kind of reestablishing those norms. Like, what is it like to be in this new normal? Because it's not the same normal as what it was pre-pandemic. We've changed. And um, I think that that's a lot of the work that needs to be done this school year is identifying what 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 is this new normal, but more importantly, like what, and I'm getting emotional, so sorry about this, but. No, thanks so much um, for sharing. Like, it's not just about like, what is this new normal and identifying what the new normal is, but also taking the time to reflect on what could this new normal be? Like what, what potential does this, does this have? How can we grow from this? And how could we come out? Oh gosh, sorry. I no, don't worry it. about it. Um, how could we come out of this stronger than when we went in? If that makes any sense. No, it does. And I think that like, I think so many of us have tried over the last couple of years to imagine that and be like, okay, on one hand, we want to be like, things are back to normal. We're back in here. You know, this, you're back with your teachers and your, uh, all these adults that you trust. We're back, you know, doing this again, but also, okay, like what have we learned? And like, it, it's probably a mistake to pretend like we're uh, welcome back to it. So, you know, February of 2020, we're just going to keep on going that you have to look back and be like, okay, what are, what are those silver linings? How have we all changed and how can we acknowledge that to move forward in a better way and not necessarily just in a normal way? Yes, Peter, that's what I'm trying to say. That was, yes, yeah, exactly. Way to repackage. And again, and again, thank you so much for, for, for sharing that. It's, I can't imagine that, that visual of you sitting on that stump where you feel like, you're in the Truman Show, right? Where it's like things are things are normal, but they're just slightly askew. Ugh. Yeah, like that, that's an um, you know, I don't think about that often enough, actually. Like I, that was the first time I've shared that in a long time. But I, 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 I just have been going through the last couple of months thinking about that and how I, you know, with my kids, I just want to say to them, like, I see you. I understand that this is hard. Yeah, doing that in like a way that's like really natural and authentic and, you know, empathetic that doesn't feel like it's social emotional learning day. How's everyone doing, you know? Yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. And I've shared bits and pieces of that particular experience with them. Of course, like I most with with my Hawks Take Flight group this year, they're all boys this year. There are no girls, um, which is atypical. Usually there are a good mix, a good blend. Um, but this year we they're all boys. And um I, you know, like I've brought it up with them a couple times and they're super curious and they're very compassionate, which they're not always compassionate, but they mm -hmm. are when it comes to this particular topic. But then it always like they're boys. It always comes back to like, oh, and what did it look like? And what did it sound like? And <laughs> oh, they, they want to know all about the action parts of it. But um, I think they they understand that um, there are some similarities to that. So, yeah. you know, again, it's, it's a teamwork thing. And I think that's why Hawks Take Flight works. To bring it back to that, I think Hawks Take Flight works because there are so many different teachers that are a part of that program other than myself. And together we have different strengths. We have different weaknesses. We have different personalities. And that, that is why it's been so successful. The last two school years. So since the pandemic has started, unfortunately, we don't have all of those people that are a part of it right yeah. now. I am running that particular program by myself. Um, and I miss the team aspect of it because there are times where um, in the past, you know, perhaps I would have to have a really tough conversation with a student and um, I would have, a, you know, I'd have another colleague that was able to swoop in and say, hey, I heard that you and Miss Rad had that 
you know, conversation. And I know that she came to you with, you know, from a place of caring and, um, you know, just know that she's still going to be here for you. And then they come around again, you know, yeah. but this year I'm kind of running solo. So when I, when we do have a blow up and they happen, it takes a little bit longer to maybe restore that relationship because I don't have somebody in my corner able to swoop in and kind of play the good cap, bad cop kind of situation, you know? Good. Yeah. Good teacher, stern teacher. <laughs> there you go. That's a better way. Of putting it. <laughs> what you just said in, in this whole conversation we're having kind of reminds me of, I was just talking the other day to a teacher for the show. And one of the things I really enjoy about this is that like, we have so many different kinds of educators on here. So actually the last episode of our show, we had on uh, this woman, uh, Katie Billman. She's fantastic. She's a pastoral care and ministry professor and uh, like a, a, a theologian. And she said this thing about, um, about teaching that I, I wanted to run by you. I wanted to, to get your take on it because I thought it was really fascinating. And I think it kind of makes sense for the way that you were kind of talking about education now, where she said, teaching is a lifestyle far beyond what it takes within the four walls of the classroom and like the allotted time that you have for class. And she was saying that like, as a teacher, you're teaching in everything that you do and how much of an impact you can make on people is really like, she said it's like it's a burden and it's a blessing it's just like this responsibility and I was just really fascinated to get your take on this like kind of just teaching as way more than a job as kind of a a lifestyle and a a way of living oh yeah I couldn't agree with that more and that's a really insightful way of putting it I mean I absolutely feel like this is this is my this is my life this is a call I, I always say to my students I want them to have what I have I someday in their life I want them to find something that they can be passionate about. I want them to find something that they can love as much as I love doing this. Um, but it absolutely is a lifestyle. Yeah. You know, like I said, I'm on spring break right now, but don't, I, I have also emailed home on so many kids <laughs> over spring break already this week. And I, I called a, one of my students, his sister to make sure that everything was okay. Well, you know, that was going on there because they're, they're more than just students to me. They're a part of my life. Um, and I don't want to go as far as saying like, you know, being cheesy and saying they're a part of my family, but in a sense they are, they're an extension of my family for sure. And, um, it, it can be, it can be, a, it can be a lot. And I think that, um, this year, you know, in particular, we see a lot of teachers that are feeling very, very drained. Um, and I think that that is part of it is that they, they have gone all in and the pandemic has been hard for all sorts of reasons. And so when they see that there are lots of students in their classes that are struggling, that takes an emotional toll on them. Um, but I also see that those same teachers are coming back every single day and just giving it another try that they just keep showing up and they keep giving it their all because these kids deserve it. They do. Um, and I, I certainly feel I feel like that every single day that even if there's a night where I go home and I'm feeling beaten down, I do everything in my power to shake that off so that the next day they have the best version of me every single day, because that's what they deserve. And quite honestly, that's what I went into teaching for was to enjoy myself. And I think sometimes we take ourselves a little bit too seriously. And I do think that it's a serious job with some serious um, needs, but um I also think that there's a lot of place for fun and a lot of place for, for teachers to love on kids. And that's what I go into school doing every single day. And, and I love it and I'm thriving. Right. More it, than just surviving. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's like that, like 
that responsibility that we're talking about, about like of what teaching kids is and like anything that I say or, or do for this kid is something they could take with them forever. You're like, you have to be able to come into that in a way that's like, okay, great. I like, that's, that's a positive thing. I'm up for the challenge. Cause if not, ooh, that sounds stressful. <laughs> You're right. And it's, it's funny that you say that too. Some, sometimes the things that they latch onto, like mm-hmm. the things that I say, you know, sometimes I think I could have the best lesson ever. And like, it's land, like this last lesson is landing well, and they're getting every single thing that I'm saying. And then two days later, what they bring up is something that was not the point of the lesson, but for whatever reason, it's stuck in their brain. Um, but, you know, I think that speaks to the lifestyle piece too. Like it's yeah. important that you are, you're living what you're, what you're preaching. That's for sure. I thought they were going to take away from this, that we were conjugating the heck out of those verbs again. <laughs> Oh yes, I do. There's some I I I often say that conjugating verbs I think is ma- is like magical. The first time students see it, it's magical. I don't know that it feels that way the a hundredth time you've seen a verb conjugation. But one of my favorite things in teaching is the very first time I get to show students how verb conjugation works, and their minds are just blown. And it's like my favorite day of the year. It's funny you um, say that. Or one of them. It's funny you say that. Like. I'm sure you're, so you're a Spanish teacher for people that aren't, that aren't aware. I know we talked about it a little bit, but like, I can't imagine how many times people probably come up to you and say like some version of, man, I took four years of Spanish when I was in school and I didn't take, and like, I have nothing to show for it. I felt that way up until very recently. But the one thing that I still remembered was conjugation for some reason. That was like the, all I had left, but I, I'm sure you get that all the time. And I, I'm trying to fix it now. You know, uh, yo estoy aprendiendo a hablar español un poco. Oh, I do like that. That's awesome. Good for you. <laughs> I'm happy to hear that you're learning a little bit more. No, I tell my students all the time that that is like a dagger to my heart. Every time I I get that all the time, I get that line, I'll be out and somebody will say, you know, oh, what do you do for a living? And, you know, like I always say, I teach freshmen. That's actually my go-to line because oh, I really? teach kids. I don't teach yeah. subjects. Like okay. I, I just say, I teach freshmen. But then after that, they're like, oh, well, what do you teach? And then I say, I teach Spanish. And I get that line all the time. And so I every time I hear it, I go back to my classroom and I say, guys, I met this person and they were super awesome, but they said this thing. And I like, that is my mission in life is that when you go out in the real world, that you never say that thing to somebody else. You'd never say that to another Spanish teacher. Like I took Spanish, but I don't remember the thing. Like, no, no Spanish teacher wants to hear that. Do you think about that? Like, do you take that to heart? I've been like, why is that such a common experience? Is is it like that people don't uh, go out of their way to speak in Spanish to other people after they finish up with those classes or they don't have the opportunity. Like I'm fascinated as to like why so many people have that experience. Well, I think it's twofold, right? Yeah. I think part of it is that if you don't use it, you lose it. And that's, exactly. I yeah. mean, that's a fact. If you're not using the language, it's, it's going to, you might've had it and then it's gone. Um, and then I think the other, so second piece is just a, is a confidence piece. I'm sure that if yeah. that same person were to sit down with somebody that would gently um, coax the language out of them, they would know a lot more than think they do and I hear that from kids all the time and they'll go off to Mexico or Costa Rica or Spain and they'll come back and say hey I had this awesome opportunity to travel and I was able to understand x y and z and like that's that's an as a Spanish teacher that's the biggest compliment you can get is that they were able to connect something out there right 
I love that. You know, I've been thinking about it a lot because actually like the last two months I've, I've been trying to to get back into it and yeah. I've been using one of the, you know, learning apps, right? Good for you. And uh, I've been thinking... I've been thinking about it in the terms of actually like one of my main hobbies that I picked up during the pandemic is I've been trying to learn how to play the piano. And, um, and so like one of, one of the big revelations I had was like really identifying like, okay, like you want to learn the piano. Great. Why? You know, like, like what's your goal actually with this? And I've like realized it's like, okay, I do not want to necessarily be a like classical pianist that like, you know, plays Bach and Beethoven. Like, I think what I want to do actually it's just like, you know, know how to play the songs that I really like, play with chords, think about music theory, that kind of thing. And now I'm applying that to Spanish now and I'm like, okay, in what situation do I see myself, you know, speaking in Spanish and using it? I'm like, okay, like I, there's a lot of really amazing, you know, uh, Mexican restaurants in my area and like markets. I want to be able to talk to people and like have those transactions. So I've been thinking about it in that way. I've been like, okay, maybe I should like focus my attention on like the specific language that I'm going to need in this setting that I actually do see myself using it in. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that I try to use a lot, both with my Hawks Take Flight group and then also in my Spanish classes when I'm developing a lesson plan is the ARCS model of motivation and that theory that um, students are, well, people are motivated to do things if it meets the acronym of ARC. So it has to be something that catches your attention, it has to be something that, for whatever reason, inspires you to like, that draws you in. It has to catch your attention in some way. So, like a hook, totally necessary for a lesson. It has to be relevant to your life. So, in what way can, you know, you make connections that you're going to use this either in the real world or to, um, fulfill a personal passion of yours, right? That intrinsic motivation piece. And that could just be maybe like, how is this relevant in like maintaining a relationship with somebody that I have a lot of respect for, right? Like relationships matter. Like, and you know, with, with Coxic Flight Kids, I definitely see that. That idea that students have to feel confident in whatever it is that you're motiv- trying to motivate them to do. So that doesn't mean that they have to be confident that they're going to 100% succeed in a blink of an eye, but that idea that they're going to feel small opportunities for success, building themselves up to that bigger goal. And then finally, the S standing for satisfaction. And and so that, and like, that's something that I think about a lot with not only my own lessons, but then with the Hawks Take Flight kids, often I'm not only, I'm not tutoring things that for my own classes. I mean, some of these kids don't take Spanish class. I just have them in my room and I'm tutoring other subjects. And so sometimes I have to take a step back and think about, all right, why is Romeo and Juliet important for this particular kid? Like, let me take a second to brainstorm why this particular, um, you know, piece of work is something that is relevant to this student's life. How am I going to hook them into learning this thing if they're already burnt out on school for whatever other reason? Um, And how, how do I, how do I, how do I, when I'm not their particular English teacher, how do I build up little opportunities for success with, within our relationship here and there, you know, like what is it that we can celebrate together to make this uh, a satisfying experience for them. And it sounds like that's what you're doing with your piano lessons and your Spanish lessons, right? Is just connecting that to real life and providing yourself those little moments of, of um, satisfaction, which is awesome. Like good for you. You're motivating yourself. You're doing everything you're supposed to do. Perfect. I'll I'll take it. (laughs) So, um, I think that one of the things that you said, uh, we always usually ask people that are like teacher origin story on this. And I know that one of the things that you said and at the event was that, you know, you've wanted to be a teacher for 
pretty much as long as you can remember, right? Because mm-hmm. we, yep. we have so many stories on this podcast of, of people, you know, uh, setting up classrooms and teaching stuffed animals. <laughs> yeah. I, um, when I played, you know, school with my cousins, I was always the teacher. I was very upset if I had to play the student in those classes. Yes, in those games. Um, but yeah, I wanted to be a teacher forever. I mean, and I grew up in a small town where I think every single teacher did a really awesome job of connecting with every single student. And I think that for, for a lot of us, that was because the classes that I was in had maybe 20 students max in it. I mean, I grew up in Kirkland, Illinois. Okay, I grew up in Sandwich, so class. small town Illinois, yeah. Yeah, and my, my graduating class was 45 students. And I ate lunch with the same students my kindergarten year through my senior year of high school. And that's a type of relationship that, um, is unparalleled, right? It's just that, that sense of community that comes out of being in a small town is, is really special. It really is. And I think that every single teacher that I had throughout elementary school into college, um, and then the teachers that I work with nowadays, they're, they're the people that inspire me every single day. And I've never looked back because I just see all of the good that comes with school and how you can help kids meet their full potential and what what better job is there out there than that like I just I don't believe that there's anything else out there that can can really compare to the experience that a teacher gets to have was teaching Spanish always what you wanted to do or did that come later I know you mentioned at the event that you used to travel every summer to Mexico when you were a kid right yeah I did I I think I just floated around I didn't know what I wanted to teach until my senior year and then senior year of high school I picked Spanish and I think that was absolutely because of all those summers that I had spent with my family in Mexico, which were awesome and have shaped me into the person that I am today without a doubt, because I looked at the world a lot differently than just, um, you know, the, the, the area or the small town that I grew up in, right? Like that, to talk about a really cool way to grow up, you know, I had my small town bubble or everything was cozy and I was always with the same group of people, but then summers away, the world got so much bigger. And then I got, came back to my safety net and then it got bigger again and it just kind of shifted between those two things. But um, I, I think for those reasons, Oregon is the perfect place for me because I, I know what it feels like to grow up in a small town, but then I also understand why it's important for my students to leave and come back when they get those opportunities. And I'm going to continue to encourage that along the way. Because there's a lot of awesome things in small towns, but there's also things that life will offer you outside of that. And if you can get a little taste of that and bring it back to you or bring it back to your hometown, what, what an awesome impact you can make in that way. It's the, it's the hero's journey, right? You've got to leave to be able to come back. Yeah, I love that. There you go. Yes, you're right. <laughs> I love that. Did you, so do you, were you there like most of the summer or was it just like a couple of weeks or what was it? Um, it was three to four weeks every summer. So I have family That's in Mexico. Amazing. Yeah, I have family in the Sierra Madre Mountains in Mexico. Um, and they live uh, on a ranch. Oh, in the mountains too. That's got to be gorgeous. Yes, it's absolutely beautiful. And it's a completely different way of life than what we live here. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I miss it. I miss it. And I, But I think it's, oh man, I mean, it. I was going to say, have you been back any recently? Uh, it's been it's been several years since I've been back to the ranch. Yes. I mean, I still obviously talk to all of my family. They come and visit us all the time. Um, but I haven't been back to the ranch for a lot of different reasons. I think the world is just a little crazy right now. 
Um, so I just haven't had that opportunity. Indeed, <laughs> indeed it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Well, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, your colleagues and being inspired by them. And, you know, obviously a big part of this show is that, you know, every teacher we have on is, is nominated. And, you know, the conceit of the very show is that everyone has had a teacher in their life that, you know, made a big impact on them or, you know, helped them become the, the people they are today. And so obviously we often find that the teachers that we talk to have also had teachers in their life, whether, you know, formally or informally, any kind of educator that, that was the same thing for them that like made a huge impact on you or helped you become who you are. I know that there could be, you know, countless or multiple teachers that, that meet that criteria, but who are some of the people that come to your mind when we say that? So I'm going to go about this in an unusual way in that Ooh, I, I mean, I obviously can name off a, a hand more like two handfuls of teachers that I've had over the years, but the person that truly inspires me right now is uh, a man named Phil Yorty. He is a civics teacher, world history teacher at Oregon High School. He is going to be retiring next school year, which um, is like uh, mind blowing to me because he's been around my entire my, my entire teaching career. He's been my buddy, um, but I've learned so much from him over the years. And he inspires me every single day because he stands for a lot of the same things that I do. He believes that kids don't care about what you have to teach until you, they know that you care about them as human beings. And there are days where, um, you know, things are, are tough as a teacher, perhaps a relationship that you've spent a lot of time building has a, 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 suffers a hardship that day. And he's the person that you can go downstairs to his room and you can tell him what's happened. And he's going to, um, he's going to, he's going to be there to just refocus you and he doesn't do it by building you up and making sure that you think that life is all butterflies and rainbows. It's not that at all, but he does a really good job of any person that's in his room, helping them redefine or, or re like, I guess, refocus on their why. And that's what he says is like, well, you know, Rad, what, what are you in teaching for? Are you in teaching so that you can, so that you can conjugate verbs? Is that what you're in teaching for? Like, is that the most important piece of this particular day to you or are you in teaching because you want to make a difference and and I mean that he has just so many inspiring things to say every single day and I think that he has so much to offer not only to myself but to the students in our school and um if you know if I'm going to be embarking on this particular 2022 journey um I I plan on him being you know alongside me the entire way even if it has to be via you know like internet or zoom or over the phone but he he is a lot of the reason why i am who i am and it's because for the last 15 plus years we've been figuring out education together and i couldn't be more inspired by anybody than i am by him so that's that's awesome well i'm glad we could give him a shout out here I know that you gave a shout. I mean, I think at, at your celebration, you gave a shout out to your grandma too. And I know that you said you're at your grandma's house t- today too. So let's g- g- give her a shout out Absolutely, too. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. She's uh, she was a, a a wonderful human being. So, yeah. I mean, she. You know, I brought up the story about kin- uh, kindergarten, but she you know yeah. helped pay for college tuition and all that stuff. So she's pretty great. Mm-hmm. 
again, thanks so much. And I, I don't want to take up your entire spring break with this interview, but we got just a, just two more questions for okay. you that we'll end off with, which are the same thing that I, I mentioned earlier of some of the last questions I like to ask, which is, you know, first one being, is there something, again, about teaching that you think is more important than people might realize? Just something you wish people talked about more when they talked about what it means to be an educator? Hmm. That's a good question. I think that um, the answer for me is always going to be that relationships are the most important part of teaching, right? I think that's become um, something that you hear a lot from all teachers because it is the most important thing is the relationship part at all, at completely. Um, I think that another message though that's important to share out specifically because I know that um, we are in need of aspiring teachers to take the leap and um, and get into education. And I know that there's a lot of stuff out there right now saying that teachers are drained and that this profession is hard. And I want to make sure that anybody that's out there that's thinking about going into education knows that there, though there, you know, this job can be challenging sometimes, the, the good far outweighs the bad. And there is so much support out there that um, even if you do have a bad day, there's always going to be other educators, other community members, other parents that are going to be around to lift you up. And I believe the teamwork aspect of education is so important. Um, the things that I do in my classroom couldn't happen without the inspiring colleagues that I teach with, but also without the help of my administration, our guidance office, and then also the parents in my community. I don't know that you hear a lot of teachers say that, but I very much feel like the parents in my community are my partners. And without them, I couldn't do the, the things that I'm doing in my classroom if, if, my, if the parents of my students weren't right alongside me, supporting me along the way and, and reinforcing the, the behaviors and also the content that I need kids to learn at home. Um, so for those aspiring teachers out there, I would say, you need to go for it. If you have any interest at all in being an, uh, an agent for change, this is the job for you. I can, I, I can say that with every fiber of my being that there isn't going to be a time where you're going to regret jumping into education. Because even if you find two, three years down the road that perhaps there's another profession out there for you, having tried education, you're going to come out of it a completely different person than when you went in. And there's always going to be something for, to gain when you are trying to reach others. As much as I've given other kids in my career, I've taken, I, I've, I've learned so much from those, those experiences as well. Um, and so I just hope that um, the, the things that you see out there doesn't dissuade, dissuade any, any new teachers because there's a lot of awesome out there. And, and if you want to, to get a glimpse of what school is like, come in and visit some teachers. You can come to my classroom anytime you want. I'm not shy. And I have a whole, whole group of teachers in our building that would also just take in anybody that would be curious to see what school is like um, because we need you we need people that are out there that are passionate about making a difference and are and are excited about the idea of of making an impact on on the future of america and so agents of change we need it on the job description yes i love yes absolutely i love that i think that um student teaching is a wonderful opportunity because you get a chance to you know get your boots on the ground, but I also think that there should be other experiences that new teachers or aspiring teachers get to have. I would love to see them come in and do other types of jobs as well, like 
maybe you know being an aide on a bus maybe if, even if it's just once a week just to get a just to get an idea of what it would be like to be on that bus to see kids in different um formats as opposed to just the classroom so that they can see what makes what makes the kid tick that energy is is unlike any other i mean i i feel like i i live i thrive off that energy that i get for my freshmen every single day that's why i love teaching that grade level so much is they're not too cool for school yet and they're so excited to to try anything that i put in front of them and i i feed off that energy i love it i do i love that i Last question I have is almost the same one, but for you as a, as a Spanish teacher specifically, something about learning a language that you think is more important than people might realize or you wish people talked about more. Mm, that's a good one. Well, I think that learning a language is it's so much more than just learning the words. It's about getting a chance to get in there and actually experience the people that are a part of that culture. Um, there's so much to be learned about about our own culture through the eyes of others, right? Like, I think that's one of the things that uh, really shaped me growing up is going to Mexico and, and looking at some of, um, or I guess looking at my lifestyle through the eyes of my cousins, because at that point they hadn't seen the way that I lived. And I think um, I came back from every single one of those experiences a lot more grateful for what I had in the United States. But also um, I, I think it just broadened my eyes Oh gosh, I'm just, I, I don't even know. I just so many different things. I just looked at the world differently. Yeah. And I think so that culture piece is so important. Language learning is, is so much more than learning language. It's about learning customs and connecting with people that you otherwise won't have that opportunity to, to meet if you didn't, if you, if you can't speak in their language, right? Definitely. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, that, that was, that was all I had for you. Thanks. Kim, 2022 Teacher of the Year and Agent of Change. We'll have the, both of those on there. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> Thanks, thank so It was so an absolute pleasure. For, for, no, thank you for giving me this opportunity. It was nice to talk about school for a little bit this week. Don't want yeah, uh, all the experiences that I've had in the last 15 years to fall out of my head because I've been out of school for three days. You know? Yeah, I know. No, no, I'm, I'm really glad I could give you an excuse to, so we could wax poetic about it for a while. <laughs> Absolutely. No, this was great, Peter. And I think what you're doing with this podcast is awesome. Thanks for listening to Teacher's Lounge. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on the show. It's how we get great guests like Kim. Send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. And wherever you're hearing the podcast, subscribe, leave us a rating, whatever you can do. It really does help get us more teachers and more perspectives on the show. Please subscribe to the Teacher's Lounge newsletter to keep up to date with everything having to do with the show. We've got fun quizzes, answers, all sorts of fun stuff over there. A big thank you to the Northern Illinois band Kind Us for the music you hear every single episode in this show. I've been your host, Peter Medlin. We'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge very soon. See ya.